Amen. Well, today is our last week in our Guard One Another series about how we can avoid saying and doing things to one another that injure us, that we are called to protect each other. And so those of you watching online, thank you for being here today. Uh, next week, uh, we launch a new series in the book of Jonah. Uh, every summer, uh, we study a minor prophet and this summer is Jonah, the oldest minor prophet. It was the first one written. So we'll get to study Jonah. Uh, many of you know that story. And the belly of a whale for a while and had uh, a very short sermon uh, to a group of people who uh, were against God. And it'll be a wonderful time for us to, to walk through that book, to be reminded about God's faithfulness to us. But as we wrap up today, we're going to be in the book of James. And so if you've got your Bible, you can begin to kind of turn to the book of James. But part of our session today is going to be about patience. And, and I don't know about you, but we all think that sort of our era is the most impatient. Um, but because the Bible mentions patience over and over again from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, impatience is not a new issue. Uh, it's been around for thousands of years and people have always been impatient and, and maybe we're slightly more impatient in the past. But I think about people who are patient because there are those people out there, people who are patient. I think about truck drivers. Truck drivers are patient people. That They have to drive long distances, pay attention to everybody, all these crazy drivers like you and me cutting in front of them so that we can get an extra 12 feet ahead. And then once they get to their destination, they have to sit and wait because their cargo has to be unloaded. And so they exercise patience. I think about law enforcement or military. When you're on a stakeout or you're on a mission, you, you, you've got at times to just hurry up and wait. As one of our volunteers often says, you have to have rigid flexibility and just, just sort of be willing to take whatever comes your way. Be patient I think about watching that egg boil. Because that takes patience. Because as soon as you watch it, it doesn't boil. Like, just try it. Just stand there. It'll never boil. And we, they say, walk away. It'll boil faster. Not really. But we just quit paying attention to it. Or I've shared this story before. A few years ago, we had some friends. We have some friends. And one of their daughters was... Uh, I appreciate the encouragement today. <laughs> my, my birthday is this week, so thanks. So uh, they, they had a competition down uh, in Galveston, so we drove down to meet them. I have three boys. I don't understand anything about gymnastics. But all I know is we spent four hours at the Galveston Convention Center for eight seconds. There was actually more than that, but that's what it seemed like. Four hours we were down there for two routines. Patience. And screaming girls everywhere, I was out of my element. If you've been to a track meet, it's similar. Get to hang out all day, especially if you're in the 4 by 400 relay, the last event of the meet usually. But if your child is in the high jump or the long jump, 
you're sitting around, sitting around, sitting around for three seconds. You get excited if they're in the mile, at least it's a few minutes, you get to watch them just <laughs> do something so exciting as run around a track. Patience. Or if you've ever been in a hurry and you're waiting on your five-year-old to tie his shoes or her shoes. I've got it. I can do it, Mom. Leave me alone, Dad. I want to do it. You're like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Just wear your Crocs. You know, that's our answer. <laughs> there are many, many examples about patience. And as James writes in James chapter five about how we're to exercise patience, that has another layer to it as well. That as you and I act patiently, then that's gonna change how we treat one another and how we view those outside the faith. Because the book of James is, a common theme in the book of James is to compare the righteous with the wicked how the righteous should live sort of this practical faith and how the wicked are gonna be judged and often those wicked are, are wealthy, unmerciful people. And so James is contrasting these two lifestyles. And in James chapter five, as we're gonna read beginning in verse seven, he speaks to those who follow Christ and how we should live a life of patience but also how we should handle one another. Maybe when we're not so patient with each other, when someone doesn't operate in our same schedule or timeline. And so if you've turned in your Bible now to James 5, let's look at verse 7. We're going to read through verse 11. It says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. We've had both of those in the last uh, 10 days, early and late rains. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. As James begins this portion of his writing, he tells us to be patient, to wait upon the Lord, because the Lord is coming. This is an amazing phrase to me in verse 7. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Most of the biblical writers and those in the early church believed that Jesus was gonna return in their lifetime, that he was gonna come back to deliver all of his followers to experience glory in heaven. They believed that. And so that was 2,000 years ago. How much more now should we also be ready? Be patient. Be eagerly waiting the coming of the Lord, to, to wait with enthusiasm. On the way here to this morning, I was listening to the radio and another pastor was sharing about how he's very impatient. He's the guy 
who likes to dart in front of traffic and get the 12 feet ahead and he's going to change lanes 10 times so that he can beat traffic a little bit. He's the one that doesn't like to go to amusement parks because you have to wait. I'm kind of that way. Living in Orlando will spoil you from wanting to wait in line because if it was more than a 15 minute wait, forget it, we'll come back some other time. I don't have to cram my entire vacation and ride every ride in these few weeks. I can just come back on Thursday. It'll be great. But have you ever waited for something like a ride or an album release in the old days or a concert or these days maybe a baseball game for high school where you were eagerly patient You were excited about what was coming and you were willing to wait because you knew what was coming. There was a hope that you had. There was something that you knew was gonna be amazing and unreal and so you waited without complaint. You would stand there forever if you had to. That's the idea. To wait with an eagerness. To, to know that something wonderful is going to arrive, the coming of the Lord, that Christ will return to wipe away our struggle and our heartache for those that follow him. The imagery here is the, the idea of a pregnant woman who, who knows that in that due time, a child is going to be born. And some of you, you ladies that have been pregnant, especially in Texas summer, You eagerly wait for that day to come, for that child to be born. You know he or she is coming. And so you wait patiently. You wait eagerly. There's a designated time for the Lord to come. Only he knows. And in that moment, he'll deliver righteousness and judgment to the world. And our task Our calling is to put aside the evil of the day and hold true to our faith and our hope in him. Because when you and I stand firm in our faith, it gives us the strength to navigate the weight. When we stand firm in our faith, we can navigate the in-between time We can navigate the wait. Because you know who else is waiting for Christ's return? God himself. God is waiting for that moment when he'll deliver his people. Now he waits outside of time and space, but he too, for that right moment, to deliver his people. And as you and I wait, the concept here, the idea here, is to stand firm, to establish our footing. It's the same word, be patient, when we have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patient. It means to establish your footing, to to be firm in your footing, to to be able to withstand the weight, not the W-E-I-G-H-T for some of us, but for the W-A-I-T. I'm going to establish my footing, so that whenever the things of this world, my circumstances come, I am strong in my faith. I'm established. I'm not going to slip. 
I'm not gonna fold, I'm not gonna bend. I'll eagerly wait. And he gives the farmer as the example because all the farmer does is plant the seed and then he prays and he waits. <clears throat> he trusts that the rains are gonna come, that the fruit is gonna blossom and he's gonna have a harvest. He knows that. But it takes time for that plant to take root. It takes time for that fruit to bear. It takes time. And so he waits eagerly. He waits patiently. He waits. That's his calling, is to wait. Not to worry. Not to get frustrated. But to be patient. And so be patient. Establish your heart and your mind and your footing in the strength of Christ. Strengthen your heart. You may trust in his grace and his mercy and his compassion, as James says later. Because as you and I wait patiently, as we establish our footing, we separate ourselves from what the world does, from the wickedness of the world is. And earlier in the chapter in James 5.5, 5, if you look just a couple of verses, he talks about the wicked. Remember, there's the comparison between how the wicked act and how the righteous act. The righteous are patient. The wicked, what do they do? You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. They don't wait for anything. They just indulge. You have fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. Oh, hey. Go do your best. You have fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. That's like a cool, that's like a crazy cut down. You have fattened your heart. I don't know how many of you pay attention to hearts. Like you look at hearts all the time. I don't know how many heart surgeons we have in our midst. I, I tried to find some real live hearts that were full of fat, and they're pretty gross. But I want you to look at the difference between a healthy heart and a fattened heart. So this is obviously, you know, a hand-drawn thing because the real thing is gross. But that's what James is talking about here. The one who has the healthy heart, the one who is patient, the one who doesn't indulge themselves, the one who has compassion and mercy on others, the one who is steadfast in the Lord is healthy, the one who self-indulges. Fat engulfs their heart. It kills them. It destroys them. And so as you think about the strength of your own heart, not your physical heart, but your spiritual heart, maybe your physical heart too, what is your life consumed with? Is it consumed with self-centeredness and envy? Is it consumed with impatience and greed and my way? Or is it characterized by patience and mercy? That's the difference between those who eagerly wait the coming of the Lord and those who seek self-indulgence. And so as we think about our patience in life, there's a sense in which that carries over to our relationships with one another. And so as he shares with this, be patient. 
Establish your hearts. That's the establish your footing for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Do not grumble. That means don't grumble, don't complain, don't groan, don't... Really? All of that. I know none of you do that. Especially those of you under 18. None of you do that. Nor any of you over 18. You don't do that either. Don't grumble. If you and I, as, as followers of Christ, want to endure well, if we want to eagerly wait for the coming of the Lord and be able to withstand the struggle and the challenge and the difficulty that, life face, that we face in life, we can't grumble against one another. We have to do it together. We have to endure together. That's why we have the church. That's why we have the family of faith. That's why we have one another so that we can guard one another against the struggles and the challenges and the difficulties of this world, we do it together. Christianity is not designed to be an isolation or a solo endeavor. Christianity is not about solitude. Sometimes we think that I'd be better off if everyone would just leave me alone. No. You need the person sitting in front of you and behind you and next to you. Those of you on the floor need the balcony. You balcony folks, you need the floor online. You need us and we need you. So we can guard one another against the challenges of this world so that we can stand together with our feet strong, our hearts strengthened, our footing established so that we can wait eagerly for the coming of the Lord. So I wonder how often We take out the frustrations of the day on those who are closest to us. How often do we take out the difficulties that we face on one another? Because often it's the people closest to us that we feel like we can injure the most because they kind of have to forgive us. At least that's what we think. And so we fuss to and fuss about those people who are the closest to us, those that we wish would think differently or do differently than us. Even in the body of Christ, that's what this is talking about. Not those outside the faith, but this is inside the faith. Or do we bear one another's burdens? Do we hold fast to one another? Do we pray for one another? Do we encourage one another? Do we lift one another up? Do we forbear with one another, which means to kind of take on your issue? I'll take it on. The easy thing for us to do is grumble and complain about how they're not doing it right, how they're not thinking right, how we have a better way. How if they would just tell their kids to do this, or if their kids would just tell the parents to do this, all would be fine. And we don't guard one another. Grumbling about each other and grumbling to each other doesn't solve anything. Because what happens? Do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. 
Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Does anybody have a ring doorbell? Any ring doorbell owners? Good, yeah. Like, if the judge was at the door, you would know it. Because it's gonna beep on your phone and you're gonna see, oh, there's Jesus right there at the front door. I wonder what he wants today. Most of us don't think like that. Most of us don't think that when, you, when we grumble, complain, when we argue, when we fall prey to what the world says is okay and we miss out on the calling that God has for us, we don't think, oh, well, there's, there's a consequence to that. The Lord is paying attention to how I act. The Lord is paying attention to what I say about the people that I call brother or sister in Christ. And I don't want to experience judgment because of how I speak to or about you. So let me remind you that refusing to grumble about your friends in the faith will strengthen your faith. Refusing to do that will make you a stronger believer and it will make the others around you stronger because they'll take your example of refusing to dive into what the world says is okay. Because when you and I begin to criticize, we begin to judge, we begin to complain, we are in danger of judgment. Similar to what Jesus said in Matthew, judge not lest you be judged. The judge is standing at the door, so may we communicate to our friends, to our family of faith in a way that brings honor to them, that protects them, that guards them, that shows them a better way. Help us do that, and if we need reminding about who else might have done that, we'll consider the prophet's. If we need some help in being patient with one another so that we don't grumble, if we need help in eagerly waiting and enduring maybe some difficult times with a fellow believer, may we look to the prophets to experience and to understand what patience is about. Can you imagine, I'm sure some of you can because some of you are teachers, can you imagine saying the same thing over and over and over again for years and no one no one listening. I know what that feels like. This half of the room got it. That's the prophets. They had a message that never changed about the holiness and the righteousness of God, about the judgment that was coming on the people of Israel if they didn't change their way or on another nation, see Jonah, if, if they didn't change their way and no one wanted to pay attention. But they kept at it. They stayed the course. And if they're not a good enough example, then our good friend Job, his steadfastness, if you know the story of Job, you know that Job lost everything. He lost his family, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost it all. And Job was frustrated and he had some friends who were pretty sorry. They just wanted him to kill himself and just be done with it. His wife wasn't much better. Everything about his life was in ruins. Job wasn't happy about it. 
He went to God about it a number of times. Over and over and over again, he went to God about it. He was frustrated, but he remained steadfast. He held tight. He established his footing and never let his footing go, and God honored him. So let me remind you today that frustrations in life and frustrations with people, both those that you love and those that you struggle to love, those are real. If it wasn't, James would have no reason to write about it. If frustrations with people were not real, there would be no reason for us to be taught how to respond properly to one another. But it is real. Frustrations are real. But God, his faithfulness to you and to them will never end. And so trust in his faithfulness to you that he's gonna see you through that difficult person and he's gonna see them through your difficulty. And so your job is to be faithful, to be merciful, to be compassionate just as Christ is merciful and compassionate. As he closes there in verse 11, how the, Lord's, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. <laughs> you and I need to focus in those moments when our patience is tested, when our desire to grumble about someone else in the family of faith, when we have that temptation, may we be reminded about the mercy of God that he doesn't give us what we deserve. No, he's compassionate and loving and kind. And he is patient with us. And so I want to be patient with those around me. I want to show them mercy and compassion. I want to guard them. I want to encourage them. I want to lift them up. I want to pray for them. I want to do so without grumbling. Because in that I demonstrate to the world a different way to live. Because the world is all about grumbling and complaining. The world is all about tearing one another apart. If that weren't the case, we wouldn't have cancel culture. We should be about guarding one another. And so may we, as a people of faith, have compassion and mercy on one another to show the world a different way. That's my prayer for each of us. Will you bow with me?